When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Nerd Nest. Well, actually, I guess it's not welcome back. It's welcome to The Nerd Nest. This is episode one of a new podcast, and I've got a bunch of buddies joining me on this. We've got uh, Russ from Retro Game Corp. Russ, uh, can you tell people about your channel real quick? Sure. Hi, everyone. So I mostly work on uh, retro handheld, so emulation specifically on like handheld devices, usually like knockoff Game Boys and stuff like that. But also the Steam Deck is a big priority for me as well, because it's like the ultimate handheld. So that's what I do. And then we've got the Fox. What's hey. up, man? How's it going, everyone? Uh, my channel is The Fox. Uh, I cover a lot of x86 gaming handheld PCs, been doing that for a long time. That's typically where I find my specialty and you'll find me kind of Twiddling around in different settings and trying to extract as much as possible with as little power as possible. Awesome. And then Richard from Fan the Deck. Hey guys. Yep. So I'm Fan the Deck, Richard from Fan the Deck, and I cover Steam Deck almost exclusively, weekly deck news roundups. So yeah, check me out. Awesome. Uh, so for this show, basically, what we're, we're just going to be talking about gaming news. Obviously, we'll be talking about Steam Deck stuff. We're going to be talking about the new Zelda information that just dropped today. Uh, the Retroid Pocket Flip was announced last week, or not announced last week, but went on sale last week. And uh, we've got new updates to drivers. And like right before the show, Fox was telling us all about a bunch of tech stuff that he found out about the Steam Deck. So, We've got a lot of stuff to cover today, and uh, I figured let's start off by talking about the games that we've been playing. Hey, everybody. So I have to say that I have been playing a bunch of uh, Resident Evil um, which uh, 4 Remake and Resident Evil 8 Village. I've been playing Resident Evil 8 Village on my, on my PSVR 2, and it's really, really good. Like... It's my first VR game, or my first, not game VR game, but my first experience with VR, and every time I put on the headset, every single time, I am blown away by how that looks, but that has taken a backseat to Resident Evil 4 um, Remake on the, uh, I, I've been playing that on PS5, but it's, ob- it's, a, it's available in a bunch of different places. Have you guys been playing that game at all? So I played through the demo. I, I shouldn't even say I played through the demo. I played the demo and I quit. I got about halfway through. <laughs> it's too scary. Like I love Resident Evil 4. I played that back in the day, but uh, it took me six months to finish that game because I would play it like 20 minutes at a time and I'd just be like, done. <laughs> I couldn't do it. you know. And so with the updated like graphics and everything, I, I could barely make it like past my first two encounters with bad guys. And I was like, I, I was getting low on ammo and I was like, you know what? I'm out. And that was it. So as much as I want to play the game, I don't have the guts for it. I don't know. I don't think I can do it. I had a similar experience with Resident Evil 8 in VR. Like Mm -hmm. in the very beginning of the game, you like you're in a car accident of some kind. And um, like then you have to like walk through the woods and you see like a thing in the woods and you're like, "Ooh, that's spooky. And then I come up and this is very, very early in the game. And I came up upon like this little shack. Right. Mm -hmm. And I walk into the shack and my wife is sitting next to me and I've got this stupid headset on because I'm playing in VR and I walk into the shack and I'm looking around and my body would not let me move forward anymore. Like I was just (laughs) too scared. And I go, I, I literally, I I moved forward like an inch. And then I said to my wife, I go, I I don't want to play this anymore. And (laughs) and so I stopped playing. Uh, Then my son came up and he played it. And nothing was bothering him at all. Like he oh, just man. ran through that that shack and started fighting werewolves or whatever, and nothing was bothering him. 
And then after seeing that, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it another shot. So, Russ, what I'm going to recommend that you do is just watch somebody else play (laughs) Resident Evil 4 for just a little bit. And it doesn't feel nearly as scary. And then it gave me enough confidence to go back to it. Yeah, I I was actually like, okay. I also feel like it abandons sort of like the horror, not pretense, but it abandons some of like the strong horror elements pretty quickly. Like all of a sudden you're like, you shoot, you headshot someone and then you just German suplex them, right? Like it it (laughs) sort of gets into like the campiness pretty quickly. It's still, you know, especially this remake, it definitely kind of amps up the horror elements and brings it back to sort of the RE1, RE2. But also there's a lot of just real campiness, real like just silliness. And I love that about it. Yeah, what's interesting is that I was testing out streaming with it uh, the other day, and playing it on a handheld was much more palatable for me. And I think it's just because it was like small, I could like throw the handheld if it scared me too much or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but like playing it on a big TV and especially VR, I don't think I could handle that. But I, I think I am going to try to play it in handheld mode, either streaming or actually like on the Steam Deck or something. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I will say that that like I got scared by the stupidest thing uh, when I was playing the the RE4. And I opened like, I don't know, like he can't open boxes. So he has to like kick every box in order to shatter it into pieces. Right. And a snake jumped out at me or you get attacked by chickens. And every time, like you're just looking at them and then they come after you, it scares you. Anyway, it's a great game. Did you play it at all, Fox? No, um, I haven't played RE4 at all. I played RE5. Uh, I skipped on RE4 completely. I own I own it on Steam. Um, So the new one that just came out, I have it. But I typically own a lot of games that uh, I never get around to. Um, (laughs) It's something that always happens. But uh, no, I haven't played. I just watched. I've seen a bunch of stuff on Twitter about a lot of different skips that are possible, uh, which is uh, pretty cool. And almost like the systemic design of it a bit where you could like shoot the bell bell tower uh, and skip a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different things that is just kind of really cool that um, the game reacts so you can break sequences logically. Uh, and that's right. pretty fascinating. So that type of stuff makes me want to play it uh, a bit more. I, I do own it and I could I could play it, but there's just a, a lot on my plate right now. And I'm just trying to uh, tread water and constantly just release content. I just always feel like I'm I'm behind the eight ball in, in that respect. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, the last thing I'll say about the game is I feel like um, there's there's moments where you have to fail. And I always hate it in games where you have to fail because I feel like, okay, I'm trying to get this done and clearly I'm getting overwhelmed, but I'm supposed to fail at this point. And because I'm failing, I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing wrong? Oh, then you realize, no, 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 I'm supposed to be doing it like this. And that is a little frustrating, but I'm loving I'm absolutely loving this game. I think it's fantastic. And if you if you have a uh, a platform that it's on, and I'm sure that you do because it's on pretty much everything except for the Switch, you absolutely should pick it up. Um, I know that, Fox, you were playing uh, Diablo 4 uh, this weekend. I saw you do a, a stream over on your Twitch channel. What's your th- thoughts on the beta? Uh, so I initially, when I was on it with the closed beta, the there was a limited amount of classes that you can choose from. And I went with Rogue and it was a little bit slow at first. And then there's builds that you can do that uh, start as soon as you start leveling up a little more, you can actually start getting legendary gear, at least in the beta. They kind of uh, dole that out a little bit earlier for you. And there are um, talents that can be applied to weapon sets and those can be transmitted to other stuff. But basically, it's like for a Rogue with like a throwing dagger, it would hit and then explode sideways onto other stuff. So if there was a crowd of them, it would just like multiply and it was almost it was just really, really cool to see that uh, I have always enjoyed playing as a necromancer. So when the open beta happened, I switched over to the necromancer class, got to level 25, finished act one. That was over this weekend. I'm kind of not feeling the necro all that much. The build that I went, I got some legendary gear that boosted up my blood lance. And uh, I was like trying to just main that. So I was just like stacking blood lance um, modifiers and just trying to do ultimate damage that way. But it was kind of not all that great it's cool but it's not where i feel necromancer should be so i'm not i'm kind of iffy on this that my favorite class is there so um right now there are a lot of really cool things and i want to say that my distaste for how they are using the going forward with the necromancer right now as opposed to d2 right because i was really big on d2 necro uh there's just 
uh, right now I can see like just like all the community stuff. There is a build that is uh, up for Necromancer, and it was not what I was doing. So that's the only thing that I'm kind of concerned about is that there is min-maxing happening already in the beta where people are like, no, you have to be this build for crowd control. You have to be this build for DPS. And uh, while that's fine, I just wish that there was some more versatility, even with as it applies to loot and how that goes on, because you can also enchant loot with different um, talents that you can uh, get through the game as well. So I'm big on it. I'm a huge Diablo fan. I played through it. I really enjoyed myself just getting the loot and stuff. And there's some surprises. Like I got attacked by the butcher out of nowhere in some weird dungeon. And I was like, oh, it's the butcher. He's supposed to be here. And I'm like attacking. I'm like, whoa, I'm going to die. So I just like running away and start potting and having all the stuff. I tend to play on hardcore mode. So uh, hardcore mode is if you die, it's game over. Uh, Mm -hmm. Your character's gone forever. Um, And I just really get the blood pumping. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you you see your, your health go bloop, you're like, oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> run <Yeah>. away <laughs> and just potting like crazy it's like, bloop, 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 bloop. um yeah so it's it still has the flavor of it i i kind of hope that you know it's always a balancing act and they don't want anything to be specifically overpowered or not but yes i'm enjoying it um and when i play with buddies on the full uh full game and hardcore mode i'm sure i'm gonna still love it but i might not choose necro that's fair. I know a lot of people are talking about Necro. I, I tried Druid and I didn't like the way Melee felt. So I ended up leaving Druid behind and then switched over to, is it Rogue or Thief? What do they call it? The Rogue. Rogue. Yeah, I switched over to Rogue and I like that one a lot. That was cool. And that one you get, you can either go daggers or you can go bow. So you kind of have uh, the two ways of doing it. I know that all the classes kind of have that, but I thought it was, I thought that was really good. Russ, uh, Richard, did you guys play? uh the d4 beta at all i've never played any diablo so oh really I had, I had some roommates that played it back in the day but no nothing nothing for me oh similar my for me i've i've played a little bit of diablo 2 that was it i I've never got deep into it like others okay yeah. see i never played diablo 2 because blizzard kept delaying it over and over and over and then by the time it came out i had ultima online so i was like i'm playing ultima online instead and then I just never got back to it. Then when Diablo 3 came out, I went on YouTube and watched like all the the cutscenes to catch me up from Diablo 1 to Diablo 3. And then Diablo 3, that grabbed a hold of me and I bought that game on PC for me and my son. And then I bought it on PS4 for me and my son. And then I bought it on Switch for me and my son. <laughs> I love Diablo 3. And I know there's a lot of people who don't like Diablo 3. Uh, but I thought it was fantastic. But I I really uh, am looking forward to D4. Uh, real quick, uh, somebody's asking, are any of you looking at picking up Last of Us on deck? I, you're planning on doing a stream later today, aren't you, Fox? Yeah, it's uh, 6 p.m. for me, so it's about, uh, what is it? About three hours three, from now? Three, three hours from now. Yeah, I'm going to be streaming on Twitch. Still building shaders at 95%. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be ready. To be clear, it's been building for a few hours now. Yeah, it's it's been going. It's been going yeah. for a while now. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy to me that it's taken that long. Like, why? Okay, I'm we're gonna get into a super techie discussion. Fox, you want to explain what the hell that is happening there? Because that's two hours to build the shaders for this game is is kind of crazy to me. And, and before you answer, Fox, how does okay. this? Sorry, I just also want to ask kind of yeah. similar. Kind of, piggyback on that how does this work with the pre-cached shaders that valve has right so like once valve has pre-cached shaders will the will there still be a building shader process for the steam deck or yeah do you know all right so i I wouldn't claim to be an authority on that particular part but shaders are going to be need to be recompiled for any driver updates that are going to be happening uh, across different gpus so it will have to process those again you're going to want to do this in beforehand because you don't want this to be just in time because that whole shader compilation process while you're going through a game is where those stutters are going to be uh coming into play because all that stuff got to get built and then get run on the gpu so this as a, a preemptive shader build is something that is worthwhile and a lot of games should be doing the one part of this that i'm not sure why it's taking as long as it is is a question mark to me i have no idea why this is taking as long as as it is uh Maybe it's just doing everything, every permutation of uh, the shader that is possible, uh, which might be really awesome because then there's never going to be any um, shader stutter at all. Uh, so perhaps this is just um, 
an all or nothing type of thing. Call of Duty does this as well. A lot of different games are are, are starting to do this, and it's something that is kind of necessary uh, as we go forward. But there's um, as it applies to the shader precache comp that is done on Valve side, um, they do a few different things that are there, and that has to do, especially with uh, DXVK when they're they're doing um, DirectX 11 to Vulkan. So those shader caches are actually pretty awesome for the Steam Deck to really streamline a lot of things and make things uh, really fast. But that is a uh, Sisyphean task. It's almost a Herculean task to... Um, less of us currently rated 36%. Yeah, I'm, I'm so far seeing that a lot of people pl- playing on PC are having not a great time. It's really, really taxing. So it's going to be interesting to see how well this runs on a Steam Deck when I run this on Twitch site on scene. We'll just kind of just do it. I am on SteamOS 3.5, so uh, whatever optimizations in the newest kernel there might hopefully get me across the finish line, but we'll uh, we'll see. It th- There is a concentrated effort. I think, and I, I would say that Digital Foundry is probably leading the charge uh, pretty hard in this case. And Alex Battaglia in Digital Foundry, he uh, made a video kind of like just saying what PC games should be doing. And I can understand why devs might have a hard time with that, but uh, you, Sony actually did it with, um, uh, what is the date? What is the... The post-apocalyptic other Horizon? zombie game. No, it's the biker one. Days Gone. Days oh, Gone. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Days Gone. Actually, uh, the the settings, the PC settings for that are really, really good because you can see them updating in real time with a little like you see the world in front of you. So as you're ticking through stuff, there are some things that like settings wise aren't very taxing GPU or CPU wise. So a lot of those things you can just max out, and then you find out that like shadows and other stuff are really what kill you. Um, but yeah, so it's it's kind of a juggle, and then there are some games that. Um, you look at the type of shader work that RDNA 2 excels at and what it doesn't excel at, specifically like compute shader work stuff um, is is falling behind. And um, not that I would say I'm an expert in anything because I'm reading up on that, but um, yeah, you, you look at the work that it's in in Returnal uh, specifically, that is a monster on GPUs. I have a 4090 and um, it, that is just destroying it GPU-wise. You run the benchmark and it's still GPU-bound. Uh, I run at wow. 4K at max 40, settings. 90? Yeah, so I'm running 4K max settings across the board, but you can like just like, look at it. And it's just the GPUs is like 100, percent and the CPU is like 20. percent It's just like, yeah, wow. whatever. Wow. GPUs just like muscling through it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the same thing happens on the Steam Deck as well. Is that uh, you found that the type of GPU work that Returnal is doing is very very taxing on um, the Steam Deck. RDNA 2 is very vertically oriented in, in like being able to handle a specific type of shader very fast. Um, and in those games, it excels. Awesome. And very, very interesting uh, high tech info. For more of that, make sure you guys go check out the Fox on uh, YouTube. Um, somebody added this to the show notes. I don't know who it was. Luck be that a was, landlord. What's that? That was me. All right. Talk so. about this game, man. <laughs> so I'm always looking out for like weird gems um and you know the thing with games like that is that it's going to appeal to some people and it's really not going to appeal to others but this is a (laughs) roguelike deck builder but the deck you're building is like the items in the slot machine and so every turn you get a chance to add a new item or skip and spin and you get this sort of like you know pea brain baby brain to galaxy brain process throughout the game where it's like you know i i cherries are weak oh wait cherries are are actually pretty good oh wait no cherries suck (laughs) you go through that that process um and it's really fun uh there was a part where i you unlock endless mode where you beat you got to pay your rent to the landlord right so that's what you're spending for is to make money so that you can pay rent to your landlord um and uh, eventually you there's an end game and you unlock endless mode and i wanted to see how far i can get but I kind of stumbled on a build that was like, you can play this infinitely, basically. Mm. So I was able to, yeah, like. So you broke the game. I broke the game. Yeah, I don't want to. I I want to be careful with spoilers because I don't want people to be able to stumble stumble on it by themselves. But yeah, I broke it. That's awesome. Uh, Boy, I wish like I'm not a phone guy. Like, I mean, I have a phone, obviously, and I use it for phone stuff. I really don't play games on my phone. This, however, is the kind of game that I would love to play on my phone where I could just stand there with my phone in hand, click, 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 click with my thumb and, you know, just mindlessly kind of play. 
Uh, are you playing this on your Steam Deck or or what? Yes, on the Steam Deck, and I actually went to the App Store to look for it on the phone. It's not there, but like you can see in the type ahead that people, ha- other people have searched for this game right. in the App Store. So I'm not alone. There'll be clones, just like Vampire Survivors. <laughs> there's going to be a billion right. vamp. Uh, what's mm-hmm. uh, landlord lucky lucky landlord thing? Uh, going to be in the. <laughs> it's called Luck Be a Landlord. I said it wrong, uh, but there's going to be a billion of those clones in the. Uh, uh, in the app store, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, all right, Ed, Russ, you've been playing anything this week, or are you just head down working, working, working? It's been a lot of work, you know. Just uh, I always do testing all the time, mostly emulation stuff, and I've got a few handhelds I'm working on at all times. And right now, this week, it's got I've got a bunch, and so yeah, it's it sucks, but I'm at that point where I'm really just seeing does Mario Kart on the GameCube work on this device, and that's that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have we will probably have something to talk about with GameCube and Mario Kart on devices uh, to talk about later on in the show. But since you brought up handhelds. Uh, We might as well move on to the news. All right. So the, you know, Russ is on the show and he loves handhelds and Fox talks about handheld stuff all the time. Uh, Richard and I really mostly just focus on the Steam Deck when it comes to handhelds. But I'm branching out and I decided I'm going to pick up the Retroid Pocket Flip, which I love 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 the uh the form factor for this I'm not a fan of the circle pads we'll talk about that in a second uh but the the retroid pocket flip got announced and this thing looks really really cool uh i love the clamshell design that's one of my favorite things about the ds line was the clamshell design and uh i have to be honest i really don't play emulation with sticks very much most of the time it's d-pad stuff we're talking nes snes like that kind of thing so this seems perfect for that and i think a lot of people might wonder okay why would you get this if you have a steam deck and i'm going to open that up to the panel here in a second but i figured what i would say is why would i get this instead of a steam deck it has everything to do with pocketability I love the Steam Deck. It's fantastic. It's a really, really great system. It's also huge. And uh, I have to make a decision when I leave the house. Am I going to bring it with me? And that That's a, a thing that goes through my head. Am I going to bring the Steam Deck with me? For something like the Retroid Pocket Flip, I feel like there's never going to be a time where I leave the house and don't take this with me. Uh, so... That's the reason I feel like I want to pick this up, because I think that it's a good pocketable device where the Steam Deck is obviously more powerful, but no, like it's it's not pocketable. I mean, unless you're wearing those uh, 1990s uh, big jeans that that we all well, I didn't wear because I was more of a grunge kid, but uh, (laughs) those kind of the clothes. So Russ, as our as our uh, handheld emulation expert, what's Mm. your thoughts on the Retroid Pocket Flip? So it's interesting. I think when you know you're talking about your question of this instead of the Steam Deck, I think the real question is in addition to the Steam yes, Deck. Yes, and right? because it's one of those things where the Steam Deck has its own kind of use and I think the Retro Pocket Flip is different. For example, you know, the Steam Deck can obviously play Super Nintendo games and they actually look pretty great. I yeah. never play Super Nintendo games on my Steam Deck. Like I have so many other different ways of doing that. And for me, something like the Retro Pocket Flip would be a better kind of use in that kind of form factor, at least for me. One of the interesting things about this, too, is I, it, I, I'm really curious about how this is all going to play out because everyone who seems to be very uh, interested in the Retroid Pocket Flip are people who want a clamshell uh, specifically because maybe they love the 3DS or the old Nintendo DS. But this chipset's not going to be very great for playing 3DS games. And so, and it doesn't have the dual screens yeah, and all these screen. other things, you know. And so I wonder if people are going to get disappointed by by just their own expectations of what the device can do. And so once I get my hands on the device, I'll, I'll really kind of run through its paces and show you know, what the ideal use case scenario for is. And so I'm just speculating myself, but I do think it's gonna be a great retro gaming machine, not necessarily for the kind of clamshell gaming that you might be used to, but for all the other stuff, I think it's gonna be great. Yeah, for me, I like the clamshell, not, not for like, I'm not getting this with any kind of thought that I would play 3DS or 2DS or the, like those mm-hmm. kind of games. I like the form factor because it protects the screen yeah. and a, an extra case is not needed. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's going to be interesting because it has those uh, kind of push out points around the analog triggers. And so it may not slide as easily into the pocket as, you know, some people might expect. And so that's another thing I'll be really interested in seeing is specifically how is it going to feel in the pocket? Because, you know, a clamshell is made to be pocketable to carry around. So absolutely. Which one did you get, by the way? I know you got two of them. Yeah, I picked up the watermelon one and then the Super Nintendo style one, the 16 bit one. Seems like the watermelon is a must. I got water. I, I got watermelon as well. <laughs> Every, me too. That that's the one I went with as well. I, I I was like, if the watermelon is sold out, I'll go with the the 16 bit US because I have a lot of nostalgia for Super Nintendo. Uh, yeah. But I thought that Sport Red was going to be super popular, and I was also like, ah, I don't want to get the Sport Red. Like that's not for me. But I. I thought that that one would be more popular. So, yeah. uh, Richard, you just said that you got the watermelon one. No, no, I could just I saw Fox nodding, and I'm like, oh, oh I think I think everyone's got a watermelon. I didn't pick one up. I, I thought <laughs> oh, about right. it. I think the I think the circle pads are not for me, so that's a big hindrance. I like the clamshell, so otherwise I would have been into it. But I, yeah, I just can't deal with the circle pads, and I do want to emulate like dual analog PS1 mm. or N64. So even with sort of retro games, I think. I think this chipset will cover that generation. Yep. yep. Okay. So that is something I would want to play, and I don't. I don't think this would be a good fit for me. Yeah. What about you, Fox? Like, oh, oh sorry. Go ahead, Russ. I was going to say, in terms of emulation, what we can expect from this chipset, it's going to play flawlessly all the way up through PSP, basically. And so that's going to be a very authentic PSP experience because it'll be the same aspect ratio on the screen and you'll have that slider analog nub. And so it'll be kind of close for PSP, for better or for worse. Uh, yeah, so I, I did. I got the watermelon one. Uh, I was like an hour late, but I still managed to pick it up. I was always worried about that because last time I was like an hour late, and all the discounts went away um, <laughs> prior. So, but yeah, I got the watermelon one. I'm actually looking forward to the circle pads, just because we have been looking at like switch-like analog sticks all the time, and it's like, well, how are these actually implemented? In what way are these implemented? Then you know the hall-based stuff started coming out, and that was really cool. And they're seemingly like diverging in weird ways um, and just implementing weird ways of how the analog input is being implemented. And not a lot of times I'm I'm very on board with it. Um, just very oversensitive. So these circle pads I'm looking forward to because these are the first implementations that I've seen. I'm also interested in how they're actually achieving the clicking thing. Is it like just a button that's underneath the, uh, the, the stick itself, or is it actually integrated into the stick? So how that is all going to line up, but, um, yeah, clamshell, clamshell superior. And a lot of people don't like to admit that. Um, and this is a, this is a war that's gone on for, for, for years now, like they're going back 10 years and I'm, I'm full on clamshell. I'm also a keyboard warrior on these devices. And that's something that, uh, we won on the GPD war in 2015. Um, so that's, uh, you can't, a clamshell is uh, you're going to have more available sc- uh, screen real estate inside the same volume size. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a bigger size screen or a smaller device if you're using the same size screen. So in terms of pocketability, uh, you don't have protruding analog sticks, and then you're going to like pull out your, your pants pockets every time an analog stick just catches out, and then you have your pant pocket sticking out. It's just I don't, I don't really get why people love the PSP slate form factor, the candy bar form factor so much. Um, I know why. It's just a very gamey-looking thing sometimes people are like oh that's a gaming thing and that should only be gaming thing so when you see a clamshell and there's a keyboard on it, it's like what's that for uh i don't know uh clamshell superior that's all that there is to it well i also <laughs> think that another thing good thing about clamshell is the angle at which you hold the system because that when you're holding the, the like the base of the unit like kind of flat and the the screen of the unit is at a more of a tilted angle i feel like it's it's more ergonomically for me i think it's more comfortable that way it's it's generally the case you're the device is uh pivoting to you as you as opposed to you pivoting towards the device so either for like the clamshell ones you're going to be pivoting your wrist in a certain way to accommodate your eyeballs mm-hmm. versus the screen flipping whatever clamshell superior there's like I, every which way you can look at it, it doesn't matter i'll have this debate uh and i'll, I'll die on this hill <laughs> He'll die on this. He'll tweet at him. <laughs> he is at the Fox. Are you at the Fox? I don't no, remember. Uh, on Twitter, um, it's my name. So it's oh, at at, he's at Carrie something. I don't know how to say your last name. I just know how it's to okay. spell it. <laughs> it it's, it's an Eastern European last name. Uh, it'll be you in should the show definitely notes. do that. You should definitely do that TED talk. Shells <laughs> are superior. I would watch it. And yeah, yeah, we can just go through it. It's, it's like super simple. 
Do you have a green screen? I think we should put you on a green screen with one of those TED Talk logos behind you. That would like people would <laughs> click on that uh, on that thumbnail. <laughs> Clem shells are superior. Welcome to my TED Talk. Uh, there you go. Uh, okay, let's move on and talk about uh, real quick. Um, I think maybe looks like we've got Zelda gameplay. We we definitely got to talk about that. Um, the Zelda gameplay got shown off today, uh, Mister Onuma. Uh, a year to the day, like the last time that we got to see this guy was exactly one year ago today. And then today he came out and finally showed us some gameplay of Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know about you guys, but Breath of the Wild is my favorite game of all time. And I absolutely loved every second of the 200 plus hours that I spent playing <laughs> that game. I loved it. It was awesome. I had, when I finished it the second time, I said, no notes. I didn't have any problems with it. I know that there's a lot, lot of contention about like breakable weapons and dungeons and that kind of stuff. But for me, my favorite game of all time. So when they announced that it was getting a sequel, I was like, take my money, Nintendo. Take it right now. <laughs> so I was very, very hyped for this. But everything that they've shown us has just felt like more Breath of the Wild until today today finally i was like oh okay they're doing something different and i really found it interesting so russ we were talking before the show and you and the fox were both like get these breakable weapons out of my face and nintendo kind of leaned into the breakable weapons because they picked up a branch and then they like it almost immediately broke when they were fighting a thing like it was within seconds uh, that thing broke. But then things changed a little bit. So, Fox, you've seen it, right? I have, yes. Okay, what did you think? Because you said that you don't like the breakable weapon stuff. Uh, I, I'm i not a fan of some weapons breaking. Some of the stuff that they, they break a little bit too fast. And I think that I can understand from a systems design point, a game design point, where they're saying, you know, we can't just allow someone just to mash A and beat these people, especially when we have a big systemic design where you can actually do really cool things like throw a sword during a lightning storm and then just have that be a point where electricity sparks and blows up. Mm -hmm. I get that. And you're forcing people to think. The problem is, is that a lot of people are being forced into a thing without really understanding that. So it's a very frustrating experience for them because they just want to mash their way through it. So uh, the fusing system to me feels like uh, a way that is like even more apparent on the branch won't break a regular branch will break uh the the way how they're doing with fusing is is a compromise because of how quickly and fast that they're allowing people to just be like well put this boulder onto a stick and then all of a sudden the durability is way up and the damage is higher so they are giving uh they're making mundane items around you have more value they're increasing the value of mundane items whereas prior to it you had to like scout things out in breath of the wild you're like oh there's a hill and there's boulders up there so let me go run up that hill and then i'll push these boulders so that they hit you know people the enemies down below and and take them out or you're trying to court other things so that they hit each other and then they start fighting each other the problem with that is that it's 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 requiring too much of the the person and while i did like it having the master sword stop working is something that is just nonsense. Uh, and especially, I'm saying this because I'm in agreement with you, Bill, because I played through the normal mode and then I played through master mode with the DLC. So I beat mm -hmm. it twice. And in master mode, uh, the sort the trial is unreal difficult. Because, oh, I, is, and, I didn't yeah, finish the, the trial. I did. So when I did all that and then my sword still breaks, I'm like, hang tight. That was hard. That was <laughs> challenging. This should no longer break in master mode. I deserve this reward. Stop it. <laughs> Um, I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's uh, there. It was on real hard, especially with how fast they regen health when they're not no longer being hit. So now you're just, uh, you have to keep up the pressure. You don't have a lot of stuff. You're really maxing out the systems that they designed. And um, it, I can understand why people don't like it. There are some aspects of it that I also agree with people that sometimes the durability is just way too tuned up to just breaking and disintegrating so you're just kind of just constantly going through and just trying to uh break stuff um you know you're just whittling through your your weapon supply and it's i get it but at the same time i think it was a little bit too much and the 
the um, it, it, it's almost very uh, very quick. It's almost like Microsoft's problem in terms of having this myopic closed uh, thing because these people that are developing the game are getting so good at the game that they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, who cares if it breaks? I know. Oh what I need yeah, here. I got that. And mm-hmm. they they become so like the Microsoft effect is where like, oh well, yeah, of course I have seven CRTs. Who doesn't have seven CRTs in their house? <laughs> like that's just normal. So there is um, the sense of where they're looking got you know out of sync with. The public and they just gave this to everyone and i really enjoy it but i enjoyed breath of the wild more because of how much it felt for me like the original legend of zelda um when i was a kid when i was playing legend of zelda and i would walk into a new place yeah. and it would just be empty and you would see just three bushes and you're just like what are these three bushes what do i have to do with them so you're like burning them and you're trying to do something and you would get rewarded by doing stuff with them and right. then, like, Breath of the Wild, to me, I'd just be running, and I'd look to my right, and I'd see three trees on a cliff. And I'm like, well, I'm going to spend an hour running over there. i got to figure out what's going on with these three trees. Um, did you did you get that feeling from the Tears trailer? Because I did. I got uh, – so for me, yeah, it's it's the whole thing of the original Legend of Zelda just, like, sucking me back like Ratatouille, like you're going back to being a kid. And I, for, I think for a lot of us, and especially when we talk about retro gaming stuff, that that nostalgia drip that we're all like craving and that fleeting sense of like, remember that time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, that's why I love Breath of the Wild. I do agree. That, I do agree with people that the durability needs to be tweaked. And I see this fusing part of it. For sure. I had commented on this before as well. The choo-choo jellies and Breath of the Wild were like just screaming to be attached to arrows like how could there have not been a simple yeah. crafting system or, or the swords like i have a sword why can't i make a fire sword with a fire choo-choo jelly like this yeah. seemed like patently obvious that it was like oh you know what they're gonna come out with dlc because th- there's not even enough shrines to ha- max out your hearts and max out your stamina wheel you're still going to be either full stamina wheel or not enough hearts so there's going to be another dlc and i think when they were making tears of the kingdom they were just like nah we're not going to make another DLC. We're just going to make a new game and and we're just going to trigger everyone's OCD uh, forever. <laughs> but the hearts don't go all the way to the edge. They The rows don't match. Oh, I guess I got to start all over. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. I will say that like, uh, what was it like Mr. President Tom in chat? He said, I found myself storing cool weapons in my inventory because I didn't want them to break. Yes, there should be a way for you to once you found it to be able to craft a weapon like that's one thing that I did exactly the same. I was like, this sword looks cool, so I'm not going to use it. And, and that's yeah. terrible game design. But, but I mean, it's not their fault. It's my fault that, that I didn't use it. But it's it's like that's not a good way to do it. I do see what they were going for in that respect. Right. Is not just what Fox, what you were alluding to, but also when we're talking about that Legend of Zelda feeling, there was like there's a sense of embracing like the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I felt it immediately when what was the first the rewind, right? Yeah, so in the rewind feature where you're kind of going up into the sky. And like, we found out later on that you can just glide from the sky back down. But when I first saw that, I didn't know how this person was going to get back down. But like, that's the feeling I feel when I play Breath of the Wild and the original Zelda is I don't know exactly what I'm stepping into and how to get myself out of it. But I can't wait to just dive into it anyway. And it's a little bit different from like from soft games or, you know, souls like games where it's like, I'm a little afraid. Let me get a little more prepared before I jump into it. Whereas Zelda is just I'm going to jump right in. And that's what I see a little bit with the we- weapon degradation, too, is if you embrace it and you're just like, I'm going to use the, the right weapon for the situation. And it doesn't matter if I lose it, I'll find it again later or something like that. That's where you start to get more of that flow state for for Breath of the Wild. But it takes a lot to get into, I think. So one of the things that you missed out on, Ross, because you haven't watched it yet, is they have this system where you can take things that are around you and combine them. And one of the things that they did is like they found a long stick and then they found a pitchfork and they combined them together to have a really, really, really long (laughs) pitchfork. So you could poke enemies from really far away. So I I love what they're doing. And then the, the, the way that you can like make vehicles and stuff. I can't wait to play this game. It's I've already I'm going to pre-order it and I know I never pre-order games. It looks so fun. I can't wait for it. Russ, are you going to yeah. pick it up or or you had enough the first time around? Honestly, you guys are kind of blowing my mind right now. I never really <laughs> associated the original Legend of Zelda with Breath of the Wild, to be honest. Like I remember the original obviously and the exploration kind of aspect of it and 
I never really associated that with Breath of the Wild. For me, it was more about, okay, I need to follow the story. Like what's going to happen like in the end, that kind of thing. And so I was even, you know, when, when I played through the game, and I probably spent maybe 40 hours with it altogether. Uh, I was just trying to get to the end game, you know, like that's really mm-hmm. what I was focusing on. What are the stories, you know, who are these characters, stuff like that. Uh, I never really thought about the moments in between. And I mentioned earlier before we started, but I played Breath of the Wild on the Wii U emulated on my PC. And that was so that I could run cheats so that I didn't have to worry about stamina or my weapons breaking or even dying. You know, I didn't want to deal with any of those kind of things or like have to cook. Like I didn't want to do that. That's work, you know. And so I just wanted to get through the next part. And now you guys are making me think that I got to start all over and like actually enjoy those moments in between. So kind of my mind's getting blown right now. If you do start over. Do it in master mode because the fact that the enemies regenerate health if you don't pressure them makes the game infinitely better, in my wow. opinion. Okay. Yeah. You got to keep the pressure on. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it really forces you to uh, embrace the systems that they have created. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's it becomes you have to just appreciate and say, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm I'm wrong in this and and go about it. But I still agree that some things just shouldn't break. The Master Sword should never recharge. I, it shouldn't happen. Uh, well, I, all I'll say is that I like your so- solution that once you finish that really, really difficult task yeah. to make it to always work. Like, I think mm-hmm. that that's a good, happy medium. I like that the weapons break because it forces the user to change their gameplay style because the weapons play differently. But I also understand why people didn't like that because... It is frustrating if you're in the middle of a fight and your sword breaks or whatever it is that you're using and you're like, oh, shoot, I don't have any more. Now I have to run. I don't want to run away. That feels like I failed. And I totally yeah. understand uh, how that can be really frustrating. One more thought on that. I think that they learned a lot, right, from Breath of the Wild. And they fuse is one example of how they're solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fox, as you mentioned, one of the problems there is just user, the player understanding what they're supposed to do. And I feel like they really took that into heart. I felt like with the fused weapons, the fact that enemies can have fused weapons too is a way to show the player like, look, this is what what is what you're capable of. And it also kind of solves a balance problem too, right? Because fuse makes you a little more powerful than you were in Breath of the Wild. Um, but now the the enemies are right there with you. They're right there powered up too because they can fuse weapons as well. Do you guys so, think we'll have dungeons? That's what I was just about to say, Bill. That's <laughs> that, So shrines, shrines were like deconstructed dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some really cool shrines that were just like, oh, that was very clever. That was probably in a dungeon that was ripped up shreds and made a shrine out of. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Uh, I, I don't even remember seeing shrines when they, the guy was like diving down. Uh, I don't remember seeing any shrines when he was diving down uh so hopefully they have uh doubled down and and went to uh making dungeons if if uh tears of the kingdom has like legit zelda dungeons then yeah i'm gonna be uh even more on board because the shrines and the dungeons were weak in breath of the wild and i don't think anyone could really defend that stance um they were just they were probably the weakest part of the entire thing so uh that's something that i really hope that we get to appreciate again is a a resurgence of the importance of dungeons and theme dungeons and how they all play into the mechanics of what's going on and and teaching the player through dungeons what is valuable about, about whatever item you're getting in the dungeon or whatever or how fusing is supposed to be better in some specific situations um it's it's the old uh Miyamoto rule of three type of thing yeah i feel like the thing is is that you don't get new abilities in Breath of the Wild. So when you go into a dungeon, like the in Zelda, generally, what you do is you go into a dungeon, and then in order to defeat that dungeon, you have to like unlock the thing that you found. Right. And then you defeat that dungeon, you come out, and your character is more powerful because you found a thing that makes you more powerful. In Breath of the Wild, they were like, at the beginning, here's all of your stuff. Yeah. And you have that for the whole game. And I would really like to see the ability to have these items that you get and then defeat a dungeon. But because the because the world has so much that you can do in it, I almost think that the only solution is to have that item 
restricted to being in that dungeon. So you go into the dungeon, you use the thing, you defeat the boss, and then in order to leave, you got to put the thing like in a like a like Indiana Jones putting the thing I, on the whatever. I, I follow what you're saying, yeah, yeah. In order to get back out, and that way you can't break the rest of the world with the thing that has mechanics made for that right. dungeon. Right. I, I I follow you. Yeah. I cut I have somebody a little, off. No, I, I have a little dungeon hopium. I could be okay. reading too much into this, but the the ascend power, when they were talking about that, the power where you can, as long as there's a ceiling above you, you can kind of transport or teleport up to above the ceiling. The, I felt like they were alluding to the fact that there are there's more intricate cave systems in there, and I wonder if that could lead to dungeons. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like. He also said, you know, there's exceptions to this, b- the ability to go up through the ceiling, yeah. which it wouldn't make sense for you to be able to do that in a dungeon, because if you could, yeah. then you could just leave the dungeon, like go through the, the roof and, and now you're you're out in the world again. So right. that makes sense that you would use it in the dungeon, but you can't go through the top of the dungeon. I'm I'm totally looking forward to the part where you can like see into a cave, but you can't go into it. So you have to like go find where you have to get underneath to transfer yes. up into the hidden area. That's what I expect. That's why as as, uh, like there's totally going to be secrets that you can only find through ascending through them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that's the like the special Zelda stuff that um, for yeah. sure. Yeah. The Zelda fanfare, the whole bit just just feeds the brain. So the brain's like, here's yeah. some him. You heard, like, you, heard the, you heard the jingle. I'm the total opposite. Like when I was watching that gameplay footage right there, it was the first time I ever seen it, right? And I was mm-hmm. not thinking to myself, oh, how can I craft this or do that or whatever? I was thinking, why is Link there? What happened? What's the story? You know, like that, those are the things that I'm interested in is like hearing how that all came about. Like, sure, you can go through a ceiling, but where did that power come from? You know, like that's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. about. Nothing Here's about my the answer mechanics. to you, Russ. Yeah. Uh, the story that they tell you in Breath of the Wild is not the story. The story is your story of what happened to you on your playthrough of the game. Mm. And the story of what happened 100 years ago or whatever. Right. That's not nearly as important, which is good because it is weak. Like the story in Zelda is super, super weak. Like yeah. it is just like, oh, there's a bad guy and there's a, a girl who has a power to stop him. So... He kidnaps her. It's like it's a really weak story. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, you almost get the feeling it's like, what if paper, rock, scissors was divine? <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll call them Triforce. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's true. I, I've always been the guy though that follows the story. Like uh, Bioshock's a great example too. You can do that's some so very unique things in the gameplay with that, mm-hmm. and I did none of them. I just wanted to know what happens when you get through the end of the story. Bioshock. That's one of my go ahead. Oh, yeah, Bioshock. The ending when I saw that, I literally had the like I was just like, yes, no. <laughs> when, when it opened up the door and it was written on the wall, I'm not going to say what it is because there's a lot of people who never played that game. It was written on the that's wall true. and you were just like, that's one of my all time favorite gaming moments of my entire life was, that was real that realization. So good. One of the yeah. best moments ever. And I know a lot of people hate Bioshock Infinite. I loved the ending of that, too. I thought Me it too. was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bioshock 1, though, is like definitely on one of those games is just really high up there. It's on a pedestal of just absolutely like when you're playing through it. I think at the time you have to be there. And it's like one of those things where um, uh, games are diminished by having outside knowledge. And mm-hmm. uh, you really have to go into them blind. And there's a lot of things like Dark Souls is better without knowing anything because learning how to play the game is a part of the journey of enjoying the game. Uh, so if you just read guides and stuff, you're kind of uh, forfeiting some of the enjoyment that you would get out of the game. And yep. um, the goal along with the, the spoilers of, of that is uh, definitely don't read into it. Definitely play that game uh, yes. as, as soon as you possibly can. It's yeah, and it so plays wonder. If you have a Steam Deck, which I think a lot of people who are watching this probably do, it plays really, really well on the Steam Deck. Although 2K, uh, they kind of screwed up one thing by introducing a launcher. I made a whole video about it. It, it was really irritating that they did that. But you can still get around it. I think just I can't remember if Valve fixed it or if like there's just ways around it, but. Um, there is a launcher issue with that game, but I've been I played it on the Steam Deck and it runs really, really well, as it should, because it's really old. 
All right. Speaking of things that are really old, E3 is really old, and I think it might well be on its last legs. Um, Wario64, he's got a couple of tweets that he posted yesterday. Well, I think it was yesterday and today. Uh, the first one was that uh, Ubisoft is pulling out of E3 2023. This is the quote from videogameschronicle.com. We've made the subsequent decision to move in a different direction and we'll be holding a Ubisoft Forward Live event on the 12th June in Los Angeles. And then he tweeted this out today that Sega and Tencent are also skipping E3 2023. This is coming from IGN. IGN also reports numerous individuals in publishing slash PR hadn't heard of anyone who was planning to attend for sure and also said there's a significant lack of communication from ESA slash ReadPop. Real quick, for those of you who are unaware, ReadPop came in. They're the people who plan like PAX shows and stuff. And ReadPop came in and they they like they took over planning of E3 from uh, the ESA because ESA is apparently very bad at it and. ReadPop has shown that they're good at doing conventions and stuff because they handle packs and everybody loves packs. So I think, I mean, EA, or not EA, E3 has been struggling since before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit and it just fell on its face. It fell down the stairs. Uh, it found another flight of stairs and fell down there. And now it's just laying on the ground and everybody's walking away. Do you think we ever have an E3 again? Russ, I'm going to start with you. So I saw a tweet earlier today that well, I should start actually by saying that I've always wanted to go to E3 just Same. from back in the day. You know, and I've never actually been and it's just like a dream of mine. But I really think and I, I saw a tweet about this, too, is they should just make like an L.A. Games Week. And everyone just goes to L.A. and they can go to all the different places, right, to see these things. E3 kind of was that umbrella for a long time, but it seems like everyone wants to do their own thing. So they make it something like if you guys ever uh, have attended like CMJ in New York City, where they have like this whole week where it was just all these concerts. And you basically it would be uh, by record label. And so you could go to one record label showcase and watch like five bands play in one night and then hop over to another one. And so it's just like this kind of organized event, but still using all of the venues that they had there. So I'd love to see E3 be something like that what about you fox uh yeah i mean uh to what russ is saying i think that the industry might be aligning to what russ is alluding to because you look that if you look at the conferences that are being held by microsoft and now ubisoft and the venues that they're going to be taking place in they are relatively in that area around where e3 was um, so I, I think that especially now that COVID's over, everyone's kind of getting back in alignment and we're getting back to a sense of normalcy of the regular schedule of things, whereas COVID really threw a wrench in the works in terms of timing for everything, development and everything. So that was a, a thing that everyone had to pivot around. And I feel like we're getting back on track and it really is unfortunate. And I agree with Russ as well that, um, I had kind of a chance to go to E3 when I was really young, but I was just too young. Uh, and I couldn't go. And then um, I had the, they all came back. So it was a video game store that went to E3 and I, I was buddies with them. Uh, and they all went. All the employees went there and they came back. They're like, oh, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, it sounds great. And now it's gone. Um, so, yeah, I, there's a there's a bit of regret that I never had. I mean, I never really had a chance to go. And when I could, could did have get a chance to go, like PAX really started to the thing but yeah so i'm in total agreement with russ here um i almost see the fringe of that happening anyway and these um titans of the industry kind of just saying well you know we can just do our own thing and we'll just all align to this schedule because you still see it to be like the first the second week of june kind of uh where a lot of these events are taking place but i think that they realize how important that was um because it's something that ever i don't think there's there's not one person that I've read that were like, oh, good, E3's gone. They, no one's like like stoked about it. It's because everyone was always looking forward to it. Like who didn't look forward to E3 when everyone was going to show their stuff and you had like something to look forward to and it was the place. Um, so I personally think it's it's happening and it's happening behind the scene and it might it might take shape. Um, but yeah, I still uh, pour one out for E3. I do feel, <laughs> I do feel sad. I think we'll still have that... Uh, it, Going to E3, like that's, I think that that's pretty much dead. Um, but 
I think that the better experience, having never been to E3, even though I always wanted to go, I'm a, my day job is I'm a teacher that comes at state testing time. Um, there's no way I'd ever go, at least for not another, <laughs> you know, long time. Uh, so, like, that's not something I could ever do. But um, we'll still get to watch all the stuff. Like, everybody's going to be making announcements around the same time. And we have, like, the Summer Games, su- Summer Game, what's it called? Summer Festive Games? or get- the, the Jeff Keighley thing? Oh, the, the Game Awards? The Game Awards? No, that's at the end of the year. They right. do a summer thing, too, all like all summer long where they do announcements. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it's called. I'm sure somebody in chat uh, remembers what it's called. But uh, the Summer Game Fest or something like that, um, we'll still have all of that. But the one thing that makes me, that I wonder about, and I only thought about this halfway through, and then I want to hear what Richard has to say, is Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo and Ubisoft and Sega, like they can afford to do their own thing. How do we get the eyeballs on the indies? That's the thing. Like a lot of indies, they get their they get shown off at at E three because they keep, like they get a they get a booth and and people get to see it. That does that have to move to PAX instead? What do you think, Richard? I would say it's already there, right? So that that's my basic thought, right? Like, is that these titans of the industry, as Fox said, they don't just not need ESA anymore. They don't need each other, right? Like, they don't need right. each other to bolster their presence. Um, they can put on their own conference. And even if it was just like E3, people would go see that conference, not the same volume, but people would go there or people would watch it virtually, whatever option they provide. Um, but if, you know, Activision did that, they're going to have a huge audience. Uh, but you're right. It's the indies that don't. And I think that PAX East does that. Um, I think also we're starting to see a lot more smaller, like niche virtual conferences. One of my favorite times of the year, uh, what's the name of it? Now I'm going to forget, but there's a boomer shooter conference. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. So it's a boomer shooter conference uh, put on by like 3D Realms and and um, New Blood, and they do it every year. It's virtual completely, but it's all retro styled shooters, and I love it. It's you know similar to Next Fest. They usually have demos around that time, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I think we're going to see more of that too, where like niche interests have more virtual conferences, and it's going to be like you know more democratized in a way. And so I think PAX East certainly we're about to get a lot of, I think, coverage from that now that that's that's already done. Um, but like Steam Deck HQ went to PAX East and he, he talked to a lot of people there. So I think that's a big one for sure. OK, cool. Um, so Kevin Warmer in chat says Devolver Showcase and the PC Gaming Show. Um, those are if correct me if I'm wrong, those are all virtual events anyway, right? Like, uh, it's just a video that we watch? I mean, I always know that Day9 hosts the PC gaming show, um, and I watch it sometimes. I, it's always aligned with it. I always thought there was a theater that it was in. Oh, okay. Uh, but it might have been virtual the past few times, but honestly, I'm not 100% on that. Uh, but I do know that Day9 always would host it, um, and I would always watch it. I have a, There's the part of me that feels that it was physical at one point in time, but it makes sense to be virtual prior, like just recently. <laughs> The show I was thinking of is called Realms Deep. So they do that every year. Again, kind of, I think 3D Realms is the main main sponsor, but it's it's all sorts of classic shooters. That's super interesting. I had no, I've never even heard of that. So it's definitely something that I want to that I want to check out. Um, all right. So speaking of things that I want to check out, uh, have any of you guys get access to Counter Strike Two? Everybody says no. Okay. No. Well, I guess that we could. We none of us have opinions on it because we can't play it. Um, are you guys interested in it? Uh, I am. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I'm a lapsed CS player, so I was big in 1.6. So I haven't played in like really played in a long time. But during that time, I was really into it. And yeah, all of the feature trailers look awesome. Like they're really putting a lot of love and work into it. So I'm excited about it. I think I'm going to, you know, play hard for a weekend and then drop it again. But <laughs> I'm really excited for that weekend. Uh, Russ? 
I was just going to say, you know, I, I don't play any PvP shooters at all. It gets my blood pumping, like, way too much. Like, I just start getting, like, panic attacks. I don't like it when there's somebody else on the other end of the screen. And so, uh, yeah, for me, it's I've never been able to do it. I mean, I've, I've bought Counter-Strike, I don't know how many times, you know, over the years and tried playing it. Every time I can't do it. So it'll be interesting. I'll definitely use it for benchmarking at some point. Ah, nice. There you go. I will say that this volumetric smoke... Is this something that's in games and I've just nobody's talking about it before? Because this looks amazing. Um, not, anybody not to rec- this degree that I, okay. I I've ever really experienced in a PvP shooter. Um, like I've seen flashbangs and I've seen I've seen smoke and stuff, but not to this degree, especially where it reacts to punching through the smoke. Yeah. Um, usually it's it's just there and it, it has to dissipate. Uh, so re- the reactive smoke, I don't think I've ever really seen. Uh, but I don't not that I'm like a big person on that type of stuff. So it's not that um, this CSGO or CS is just very, very hardcore. So I never I was like, I have to get hardcore before I can even touch the game. And I just never approached that level. So it was always there's like games that I'm good at and I'll approach that. But if I'm not anywhere where I feel like the community is just super hardcore and they're just going to just toast me up. Like you had mentioned Ultima online earlier in this segment, I played Ultima online for like a day and then I got PK'd immediately. And I'm like, well, this game's not for me. This guy's level 50. <laughs> I just started, uh, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm already too late to this game. I'm not playing anymore. Uh, that's fair. Over, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I went over to like EverQuest and, and E2 and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the smoke looks super cool. The way that like, the, you could throw a grenade and burst through the smoke so that you can see on the other side. Like that's really, really cool. And I hope that I hope that that comes to a lot of other games uh, as well. All right, uh, real quick before we get out of here, it looks like the Microsoft acquisition of Activision, the dominoes are falling, and it looks like it's going to go through. Do you guys do you guys think that uh, that that's actually going to happen? I think it's going to happen. Yeah, an agreement. Taking a look at all the different things, the CMA agreeing, the government right. of Japan just agreed. Mm-hmm. It just seems like everything is just like finally like aligning into place that it's finally going to happen. Russ, Richard, anything? Yeah, no opinions really. You know, I just okay. kind of it's one of those things where I'll I'll watch how it f- falls out. You know, I can't really make any prediction, but it'll be interesting at least. Yeah, I have uh, mixed feelings about the acquisition, but I Same. feel like it's yeah, I feel like um, I can think of pros and cons to both sides, and I fall on this being the least of the the bad, you know, two bad situations. This the least bad of them is the is the acquisition going through, and Activision having new leadership and things like that, and hopefully kind of reinjecting some. I'm not going to say innovation because they've been fine with innovation, but reinjecting some, I don't know, some more passion again into into the games they've been putting out. All right. Before we get out of here, guys, tell us about uh, your latest videos or your upcoming videos that you have coming out uh, this this week or whatever. Uh, Fox, start us off. Uh, so the last two videos that I did were on uh, GPD's newest products that they are coming out with, the GPD Win Mini, which is a return to the GPD Win 2. Um, that's super exciting. They also told me I could just talk about the GPD G1, which is a portable eGPU solution using AMD's latest mobile GPU, uh, and that supports both Thunderbolt by USB 4, as well as OcuLink, which is really cool. Uh, so those are the videos that I just did recently. I'll be streaming on Twitch with the last of this on Steam Deck later today at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then I have some other uh, videos that I'm going to be talking about SteamOS 3.5 in a little bit, but there's some other videos I'm going to be doing, and that's all for me at the moment. Uh, Richard, what's what's your latest video or your next one? All right. So the one I just put out yesterday was Steam Deck gets a critical new feature. Uh, the main story there is Decky Recorder having now the ability to save clips. I like that. That's probably the biggest community feature for me that has been uh, implemented since Steam Deck launched. Yeah, that's something I've really been wanting. And, you know, I, I expected Valve to do it. Maybe Valve will be doing it. That's a big one for me. Um, and then, yeah, next Monday, there should be another Steam Deck news roundup coming. Awesome. Russ? 
Uh, so I just finished one this morning about the absolute handheld spelled ABXY loot, and Fox did a video on it. And I actually I watched all of Fox's stuff, learned a bunch about it, and then you know, made my own video. And I forgot to mention Fox in the whole video, so I'm just going to say personally sorry. <laughs> I forgot to say that I learned a bunch of crap from your video and put it in mine too. But anyway, I'll put it in my description when we're done with this. But then also, um, you know, the 3DS eShop closed yesterday, and so oh, yeah. uh, this is now my time that I feel like Nintendo has abandoned that device, and I feel like. I I'm comfortable now with doing some videos on it. And so I'm going to start working on that this weekend. I've never, like I own a 3DS or 2DS XL, and I've never actually done any sort of jailbreaking or modding to it. And so I'm going to be learning all that, and then I'll start making videos after I kind of get my feet in the water. And then on top of that, Emudeck is coming out with updates very soon, and so I'm working with the team there. Uh, they're both launching a new update on the Linux side and Steam, Steam Deck side, but then also a Windows version that they've been working on for a while. And so I'll probably have two new videos on Emudeck here coming out here pretty soon. And I totally forgot that uh, Dolphin was uh, launched on Steam today, mm -hmm. and uh, we were going to talk about that. But I guess that'll have to wait until... Uh, next episode, or maybe I'll put out a video about it uh, later on uh, this week. So, so there you have it. Uh, thank you guys for coming on the show. Just remind everybody where they can find your stuff, Russ. Uh, so I'm on Retro Game Core, either retrogamecore.com for my written guides and website, or then on my YouTube channel, also Retro Game Core. And Fox, uh, I am on YouTube. You can find me at the Fox on YouTube. I'm on Twitch with Fox TV. And on Twitter, I'm um, Carrie Gollum, my name. And in two hours, he's going to be live on his Twitch channel playing, I forgot the what last, now. The last oh, of Last us. of Us. Did it finish? It finished. Shaders are done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. We were waiting to find out. And Richard, where can people find all of your stuff? At Fanda Deck, especially on YouTube. There you go. All right. Thank you guys for hanging out with me on this first episode of the Nerd Nest podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed it, make sure that you click on that like button. If you want to listen to it, uh, make sure, uh, look for it on Spotify soon. Like it's not there yet. It's going to take me some time before that actually starts to show up because uh, all of the podcast places are very slow to let that stuff come out for the first time. So make sure that you, that you check that out or look in the, the, the description to find all of that stuff. And I just want to say thank you to all of the channel members and patrons who support uh, the show. Uh, you guys are awesome, and make sure that if you haven't already, check out The Fox, uh, Fan the Deck, and Retro Game Core on YouTube because their stuff is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic.